I'm Jody Gerard, and I'm from Central Iowa, and grew up here most of all of my life. This is Missing Pieces in PE Life, and I'm your host, Don Anderson. You know, it seems like I was on this international theme for a few episodes. Now I'm doing back-to-back episodes on people finding out their mixed race. Today on our show, it's Season 3, Episode 7, Mixed Race, Farmer's Daughter. Hey, and I'm one forgetful person, so if we've talked before about you being on the show and I haven't gotten back to you recently, it's don't take it personal, I'm just forgetful, my wife hates it, but please just get back in touch with me. You can get in touch with me at donnpe at icloud.com or check out my Instagram, it's npe underscore live underscore podcast. And don't forget to rate and review Missing Pieces. And if you really want to support this show, you can shop at my Missing Pieces store for some cool t-shirts and other products. It's missingpieces.printify.me. There'll be a link in the show notes. Check it out. Now, back to Jody and her story. I'm the oldest of three children. Um... And my sister is almost four years younger than me. And my brother that I grew up with is almost four years younger than her. So there's about eight years total difference between. I'm a farm kid by heart. Um, I still live on a hobby farm myself. We don't have any animals anymore, but um, I I grew up um, riding horses and outside all the time. We had cattle and pigs and, and the whole kit and caboodle. Just lived that typical life. Um, my mom was a elementary music teacher. My dad was a full-time farmer. And um, from the outside, you wouldn't have known necessarily anything was different and, unless you looked at me. <laughs> I grew up wondering why I looked different. I have dark black hair, um, very curly hair. Um, I was very dark complected. Um, still am. Um, and so my, I was raised by, my parents are both white, um, blonde to brown hair. Um, my sister that I grew up with is blonde. My brother I grew up with would be kind of, I suppose, considered a dirty blonde, but, um, my dad had blue eyes. Mom had hazel. Both my siblings that I grew up with have hazel eyes. Um, so I, I looked very different from my family growing up. And you have brown eyes? I have dark brown eyes. Yep. Was it a thing that you looked different in terms of either how you felt or other people saying things? Um, that, I suppose, is probably the – it could be looked at as the a very, very beautiful part of my story and a very perplexing part of my story because it was never spoken of. Um, it's probably the question I get asked the most is, you know, well, didn't you ask <laughs> any questions? And the simple answer to that is no, I never did. Um, I grew up with a very healthy fear of, of just my parents and authority in general. You know, it was not from an abusive standpoint. It was just you just didn't question authority. That's kind of the culture, you know, I grew up in. And um so I just never asked any questions. Once I got old enough to understand the possible reasons why I might look different. Um, I think I was probably too scared to ask because um, you, you kind of figure out that there's only so many reasons that it could be. There's just so many possibilities. And so, you know, maybe I was just too scared to ask. Um, 
I definitely was aware that I looked different. Um, when I was in third grade, um, there was a poster contest that um, we participated in. It was put on by my local newspaper. And you had to draw a poster of a book that you had read. And so I had read Laura Ingalls Wilder, um, Little House on the Prairie, made this poster, and I won. And so the newspaper came. I got my picture in the paper, um, got 13 little Susan B. Anthony dollars. I was so excited. And I can distinctly remember how proud my third grade teacher was, how proud my parents were and my art teacher. And I remember thinking um, in third grade, I would have been maybe eight or nine years old. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I figured it out. Um, I know how to handle and cope with looking different. Um, as long as I'm the best at everything that I do, people will focus on that. You know, nobody will even notice that I look different because they're going to be just so focused in on achievements and, and the things that I can do. And of course, that's absurd because obviously people could still see me. And so that just kind of pushed me down this road of perpetual perfectionism, which um, in some cases can be helpful in life, in some cases can be very difficult too, if that's kind of how you think you always have to be and behave and act and, and achieve. But I, I think I was worried that at some point in time, since nobody was talking about it, at some point in time, somebody would state the obvious and everybody would be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> she doesn't belong here. <laughs> Who is the, you know, kind of, it's like it, it would unveil this thing that I thought was being covered up and, and hidden uh, which is silly, but that was kind of what it was like in my head. Can you give me an example of someone who said that in the context? Um, no, no one said it. And that was, oh. so this was all, this This is what I created in my head. Once I got to be old enough, um, I, I have a very science-driven brain, um, oriented brain. And yeah, eventually I did. I, I figured out, okay, um, I remember doing in science those um Punnett squares where you're doing eye color and trying to figure out, okay, well, my mom has this, my dad has this, is the, am I even possible? Well, of course you got to know an exact, my mom has hazel eyes and you got to kind of know an exact phenotype, which I didn't, you know, things like that. Um, my dad was a just, um, habitual, um, donor, blood donor. And so one day he had left his blood donor card sitting out in the kitchen table and I had seen it. And so I had managed to kind of make up this conversation that we were doing some project at school and asked my mom if she knew what her blood type was. And she told me, and I'm like, great, you know, and this was in high school. Great. I can figure this out. I didn't know what my blood type was. <laughs> so it didn't do me any good. I'm like, okay, well that plan was dumb. <laughs> I still don't just, know what my blood type is. I still is. don't know what my blood type is. And if, <laughs> if I'm possible. Um, so yeah, as you know, as I got older, it definitely became, you know, things I was thinking about in my head. What are the possibilities? Um, and again, I think the perplexing part for me is that there wasn't anybody talking about it. I mean, I never had cousins say anything to me at family get-togethers. I never had friends at school. There was only one time in my entire life that I can remember in my growing up in my small hometown. So from, you know, kindergarten through high school that somebody said something to me and I, it was young, again, elementary age. I was on the bus and some kid, just one of those bullies on the bus um, had called me a black rock. And I remember just, you know, like that hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, what is he talking about? Went to school, I'm crying. And um, I remember this sweet teacher 
she pulled me aside and I told her what happened. um, And she just looked at me and she said, don't you ever let anyone make you think that you're not exactly how you're supposed to be. I mean, and she was like stern with me and hugged me and whatever. And that kid got in trouble and it never happened again. So it's this weird, like, I feel like people in my community knew something was up, but protected me at the same time, like sheltered me from all of this. What could have been nastiness that other people I know have have grown up with. Um, And it wasn't until high school when I started playing basketball and and I was getting good and I started branching out away from my hometown. So going to camps and um, being on all-star teams and my team would, you know, we started playing farther into the tournament. So I started seeing more people around the state kind of a thing um, that things started being said or questions started being asked that I didn't have answers for an all-star game that I was playing in, my parents came to everything. Um, cause that was the other thing about my parents. Um, I am grateful cause I don't have that story of, um, being treated differently. Um, my parents were so proud of me. <laughs> I mean, my dad would, again, farmer, it didn't matter whether he was at a sale barn or at a gas pump. Um, he would be asking, did you see the game? Do you, yes, I'm, you know, Jody's you know, dad, I'm, you know, I'm so proud. I mean, he was constantly talking about me. I mean, to that point where you're like, dad, stop, you know, they don't care about the game last Friday night. You know, they, if they didn't ask, just, you know, stop talking about it. Um, so just proud and went to all my stuff. So yeah, I was in an all-star game one time, my parents were there and, um, this girl that I was playing with on the team who wasn't from my hometown, you know, so again, I'm meeting people now, you know, meeting people out away from my little circle of, um, sphere of the world. And, introduce my parents. And um, later on, she's like, Oh, man, you know, I didn't know you were adopted. Tell me about it. You know, it's just in a positive way. It wasn't anything negative. And I'm just looking at her. I'm like, I'm not adopted. You know, and she kind of gives me this puzzled look like, okay. (laughs) I mean, people don't know where to go when I'm, you know, completely denying, but I'm like, I'm not adopted. These are my parents. And so it just kind of gets dropped. Then It, it becomes this really awkward thing. And you don't ever talk about it. They don't bring it up again because they just, they're looking at me, looking at my parents and then, you know, you know, are you on something? You know, it's like, if you've been drinking, what's your problem? So things like that. I mean, first of all, I want to say two things. One is the not talking about it is such a Midwestern thing. Yes, it is. (laughs) And it's interesting in this case, like it, it sounded like it worked, right? Like it kept you safe and like in in, in the, your bubble and stuff. But for a for a time, mm-hmm. for a time. But so the other question I have is: so I just had to say to the audience when I look at you, it's like, oh, she's black. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's just no mistake in that. No. Were there black people in your homeschool? No. Your high school? No. No. My my hometown has about four hundred people in it. Um, the neighboring towns around me are about that size, you know, maybe a little bit bigger, but no, um, I was the only person who looked like me in my town and my school. And for the most part, that is except for one guy who was in a neighboring town, not too far away. They knew about each other because they were both in the papers because they were both basketball stars for their respective schools and their moms knew each other, but they never met. So more about him later. I had not met or been around any black people um, 
until I went to college. I went to the University of South Dakota on um, a full ride uh, basketball and academic scholarship. Um, it was also the first time really that I kind of came face to face with um, an overt racism type situation. Um, I was dating at that time. He was the the quarterback on the football team, white guy. Um, and we were getting along great. Um, the relationship I thought was going great. Um, it was, this was my freshman year and he, uh, was, there was a home football game coming up and was telling me that his parents were coming up to the game. And I'm like, Oh, great. You know, I'll get to meet your parents, you know, and your family and stuff like that. And he just kind of paused and he said, well, he said, probably, probably not. And I, you know, kind of looked, I'm like, well, why not? And he said, well, he said, I had this cousin that brought home a black girl and um, ended up marrying her. And um, he said the family disowned him. And I'm just, I'm looking at him and th this is the funny part about growing up like I did and, and how even in my brain, looking in the mirror every day, I still had convinced myself, you know, that maybe this just was a freak genetic thing. I didn't know. Um, but without knowing the truth, I'm looking around going, well, so what does that have to do with me? <laughs> I'm not black. <laughs> it's just, it's so absurd. But anyway, it was the first time that I remember really then walking away from that. And, and the relationship ended shortly thereafter because it was just, it, it really bothered me. And I got to thinking, okay, I, I clearly don't belong necessarily in, in this, just in this white community. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to go hang out. I mean, this was, I'm in college. This is your time to explore, you know? I'm going to go hang out with all of the black students and the black student athletes. I'm just, I'm going to get new friends. And so I tried that. Um, and unfortunately, culturally, I had nothing in common with them. You know, I'm, I'm from a farm in Iowa <laughs> um, and I struggled. Um, I just, I couldn't relate and it wasn't, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't my fault. I mean, it's just, I didn't understand. I didn't have any of their shared experiences. I didn't have any of their shared, um, you know, hurts and traumas. Um, I didn't have any of their shared cultural, um, you know, traditions, none of that. And so in the end, I ended up gravitating back to a circle of friends that were predominantly white. Um, I was the only black girl on the basketball team. So um, it, it was just, I, I kind of just got used to it. It was like, I'd grown up this way. I, I lived this way. The school I went to, I went to South Dakota. So, you know, again, not a large black population anyway. And so I just, I became really, really used to being the only one who looked like me in a room and was just okay with it. And I know it's hard. Like, you know, it, I always love, and if you listen to my podcast, when I find people that recorded stuff before they knew or wrote stuff before they knew, because it kind of, it's, difficult to go back and remember exactly how you felt or thought mm -hmm. then once you know all the information now but but at that time was it like oh i must be black or you just thought it was a fluke thing and you just happened to look like these people i at, by that time i think in my head i had just determined that I was never going to know because I, I had figured out if I wasn't ever going to get brave enough, you know, to ask my parents, um, when my boyfriend and I broke up, that would have been one of the perfect times I could have said, Hey, you know, broke up with this guy, you know, thought it was going well, but he said he couldn't bring a black girl home. 
you know, to meet his family would have been the perfect thing for me to broach the topic with my parents. And I just didn't know how to do it. Um, in my head, I guess I was thinking the the two people that I knew based on their actions loved me the most in the entire world. If they hadn't said anything, I either wasn't supposed to know, or it was something too horrible that I didn't want to know. So I just never asked. Hey guys, do you remember Joe from the Biofather and Daughter BFF episode? Well, he's a friend of mine. He's done many things in life. He worked on SNL back in the late 70s as Gilda Radner's assistant. That's Rosanna, Rosanna Dana, for those of you who remember. Then he went on to produce the amazing show, The Kids in the Hall. And he also was the producer on Exit 57 with Steve Colbert and Amy Sedaris. So then he was like, you know what? I'm out of show business altogether. <laughs> and he started like this frozen food packaging together. You know, they would sell food to like Trader Joe's, that kind of stuff. And then he was like, done with that. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to make leather goods in my garage. And that's what he did. He started making these gorgeous handbags and wallets right in his own garage. And now he has this growing business with customers like Angelica Houston and other LA folk. It's called JXF. That's the letter JXF Leatherworks. And it's an artisanal line of one-of-a-kind handmade leather goods. He has amazing products, and they're all handmade by him. Check them out. You can find it at jxfleatherworks.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Um, I met my husband in college. Um, he ran track at South Dakota, so um, had met him. Um, my husband is white. Um, we've been married 28 years. Um, we have five children. Our oldest is um, going to be, yeah, she's 28, and I've got 26, 22, 21, and 17. Um, and so we've been, our life has been extremely busy and fruitful and, and happy and all that kind of thing. But um, as children were being born, there was just this array. My husband is blonde and blue eyed. Um, I have this array. There's a beautiful rainbow of children from um, my, our youngest is very light skinned and freckled and has brown hair and looks like my husband um, to, I have one daughter that um, is very dark skinned, um, but kind of straight hair. Um, so just all, all of the different hair textures, all the different skin tones, um, all with brown eyes, but all different, you know, shades of brown. So, um, it, it was apparent when we started having children that there was definitely a genetic um, component that I had um, that was very strong. And so it wasn't until I've got a daughter that is very much like me, very science oriented. Um, she um, was born in 2000. And so I don't know kind of when some of that DNA, I'm kind of bad at dates, when some of those home DNA tests started kind of appearing in commercials, you know, when Ancestry started doing that. But um, when she got old enough to be aware, you know, in about 2012, probably, she wanted me. She was like, oh, mom, we've got to do this. We've got to, you need to take a DNA test. And while it was never talked about in my house growing up, the fact that I look different came up a lot in my house because the kids brought it up. 
you know, why do you look like that, mom? <laughs> you know, just kind of a question. They're much, obviously have much more courage and bravery than I ever did. Um, and I would just always say, oh, you know, I don't know. You know, I just, it just, I just do, you know, I never, cause I didn't have an answer for him, but she wanted me, my one daughter wanted me to take a DNA test. I think in her head, um, I don't remember when, if it coincided with when princess diaries, that movie came out, pretty sure she was hoping that I was like the princess of, you know, going to be queen of some land somewhere and, and found out I'm actually descended from royalty, which, you know, did not happen. But anyway, um, I'm assuming for me, um, I took the test in a DNA test from Ancestry in 2018. Um, my dad had passed away in 2014 and I was struggling with that. He, uh, he was this p- person who kept me grounded. He was the smartest man I knew. Um, he supported me no matter what. Every time we came and told him I was pregnant again, he'd get this kind of silly look on his face and he loved his grandkids. I mean, he just, he was the foundation kind of of my world. And when he passed away in 2014, that was really, really hard for me. And oddly enough, it it was almost like he had me tethered to this world, you know, like a, a a ship on shore that is, is tethered to the dock. And when he passed away, it was like, that rope was cut. And all of a sudden I was floating. Got an email, DNA test 50% off that Ancestry sends out every once in a while. So I ordered a kit. Um, It was sent to my house. I got it, spit in the tube and sent it back all without telling anyone. I didn't tell my husband, didn't tell my kids, didn't tell any best friends. I told no one that I did it. Um, which is not like me. Um, my husband and I have a, the kind of relationship where we, you know, we really do talk about everything. Um, I run everything by him. He runs everything by me. Um, but anyway, so I'm sitting at my job. Um, I was a secretary working in a business office at a school district at the time. Um, September 28th, about three 30 in the afternoon, 2018. And I get the email from ancestry that my results are in. And, I did the, oh, that's great. You know, I'll look when I get home after work. And that lasted all of about five minutes because um, <laughs> I couldn't couldn't help it. Open up the email. Um, and the first thing that pops up is um, the ethnicity portion of it. And I see that um, I have 45% West Coast of Africa, which I'm looking at. I'm thinking, that seems high to me, to be, you know, my science brain to be just a little genetic, you know, blip on a screen in our, in our family. So, um, I was about, it was time to go home anyway, four o'clock was time to go home. So I, um, called a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, who was adopted and she had taken an ancestry test. And so I knew she kind of knew how to navigate the website um, called her and said, Hey, are you going to be home? Um, I did a thing. I just need to talk to you about something. She's like, Oh yeah, come on down. So I took my computer and went down to her house and got there. And I said, Hey, I said, I, they're one of my best friends, but I, I said, I did something and I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell you, but here's what I did. I, I took a DNA test. She's like, Oh, you know, and again, mind you, one of my best friends, we have kids that have grown up together and her and I have never talked about this issue never talked about, 
me looking different, me thinking about it, nothing. She's never asked, never said anything. We're just best friends. <laughs> um, and so I open up my computer, pull up my ancestry um, site and go to the ethnicity. And she looks at it and gets kind of quiet. And um, she looks at me and she's like, so how do you feel? And I said, well, about what? And she said, you're half black. <laughs> and even though I had looked at the screen and seen what it said, to hear somebody say those words out loud, all of a sudden just knocked me over. Because it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I- I'm half black. You know, it's like, how can this be? <laughs> you know, I- I'm just in my head. I'm like, I don't understand. There, then the thoughts are running through my head so quickly that I can't even make sense of them at the time. But yes, it was like, was there an affair? Was I adopted? You know, and I'm trying to even figure out how does this happen? I've seen pictures of myself as a baby with both of my parents. I mean, and baby, baby. So this had to have been something way, way back. And I'll be honest that probably the part that just was upsetting me the most at that time was, how could I not know the answer to this question? And I'm sitting here at 45 years old at the time. How in the world am I finding out something this big at 45 years old on a computer screen? That, that's what was, I think, the biggest thing for me at the time. I'm just sitting there in shock. And she's like, well, have you looked for matches? And I said, what are you talking about? Because I hadn't really explored the Ancestry site at all. Um, and she said, well, you can click on and see if there anybody else has taken the test that matches with you as family. I said, well, no. So anyway, she clicked on the DNA matches site and her eyes just got really big. And I said, what? I mean, because she just, she, she almost looked panicked a little bit. <laughs> and I said, what? And she's like, I've never had any closer than like second, third, fourth cousins. You know, she's like, you have two close family matches. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so we're looking at it. Um, two names, two men were at the very top. Um, the first man I didn't have, um, it didn't, he didn't have a picture. The second man had a picture and it was a black man. And we were looking at um, the centimorgans that we shared. Um, and so for anyone who doesn't know on Ancestry, you match with someone based on the number of centimorgans and DNA strands that you share with that person. And so we shared, and, and then they categorize it for you. So you can kind of figure out in general, you know, in a generalized way, what category you might share with this person, whether that's a parent-child relationship, um, a sibling relationship or whatever. So we shared enough centimorgans to either be a grandfather, an uncle, or a half-sibling. He clearly wasn't old enough, you know, from his picture to be my grandfather. And I didn't think he looked old enough to even be an uncle. So I was pretty certain I was sitting there staring at a face of this black man who was a half brother. I remember almost, I remember almost throwing up because I just didn't understand. Um, not only was I finding out a piece of information this big and heavy, but now I was finding family. And then I had two first cousins that were, um, 
right there that were black women. Um, the majority of the people in the top half of my matches were all black people. And it was just, I don't even know how to describe it. Honestly, even and this is five years later, I don't know how to describe it. It was the most impactful thing that has ever happened to me in my whole life. And that's saying a lot because, you know, I, I've been married, I've had five beautiful children and I've lost my dad. That was really, really impactful. And, and this floored me. I, I just, it, it was, I, I didn't know what to do other than I did tell her finally, I said, I said, I, I'm sorry to dump all of this on you and then leave. But I said, I've got to go home. I said, I haven't told my husband about this. He doesn't know I took this test. I've got to now tell him not only did I take this test, but here's what I've just found out. I went home and told my husband um, when he got home from work, which <laughs> the poor man, <laughs> sometimes I still is like, I, I apologize every once in a while. It's like, I just, he gets home from work and I said, I took a DNA test and I'm half black. <laughs> and he's just like, hold the show, you know, like back up what, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So anyway, I get out my computer and I show him. So anyway, I'm kind of walking through this with him. And yes, yeah, so when I get down, I started scrolling down farther. I had kind of stayed, I was so in shock at the top, you know, like four or five, I hadn't scrolled down. And when I did finally scroll down, um, I did see, I ended up one of my first cousins on my mom's side had tested. He was on there. Um, and then one of my, another one of my first cousins on my mom's side, her daughter had tested and she showed up. And so I recognized that name. And then I saw a name of one of my mom's first cousins, a man was on there. Oddly enough, my mom's side of the family is really into genealogy. Her mom, my grandma, I mean, she's just got books and scrapbooks. And I mean, they did big family, extended family reunions all the time. So, um, it didn't surprise me that of all the you know that they would be testing um because they're just very interested in it and figuring out you know ancestors from way back but that was very helpful to me that so many of them were because yes as i started scrolling down it became apparent that my mom was my mom because i was matching with all of those people and so then yes um as i'm sitting there talking to my husband about it i said I don't know what this means. Um, mom is clearly my mom, but I said, my dad isn't my dad. And that was really hard. Um, and there just wasn't any way he could be. If I'm not mistaken, your mom was still alive. Yes, my mom is still passed. alive. My dad was yeah. passed. And it was like losing him all over again. I still had, at the time, three kids at home. We did, my husband and I. Um, I needed to get supper ready. I mean, you know, it was just all of a sudden the mundane life, you know, it's like, you know, I've still got to do things. And so I was trying to muddle through um, just the normalcy of things and talk to kids as they were coming home from school and practices and, you know, trying to be normal. What I was going to do is I was going to put it away and not, you know, I was just going to give it a couple of days, try and get myself pulled together and figure out what to do next. And again, that lasted like no time at all. And so I was back on my computer and figured out that you could email people. And so I emailed my top three or actually four matches, the two that I figured might be half siblings and two that were first cousins. Um, 
there was a common last name with the top match and one of and the one of the ladies that was a first cousin. The other two had different last names, so you know I still wasn't sure about much yet. Emailed all four of them, um, and within about twenty four. I always want to say 24 minutes. It was, and it was probably a good half hour, 45 minutes. I mean, it, it seemed really super fast. The uh, One of the, the half-sibling with a picture emailed me back. He had been looking for family. He had known. He was, um, he was adopted by his stepdad, which is why his last name had changed. He told me what his last name was for the first eight years of his life, and it matched the top match, and it matched the cousin. So I'm like, okay, I'm I'm getting a pattern of a name now. Um, his mom had always been very honest with him, but he just he didn't know anything about his family. So he thought, I'll take a DNA test and see if I can match with anybody. His mom had gone to college at the same college my mom had. He was so excited to have somebody email him. He's like, here's who I am, here's what I know, here's, you know, and he just gave me this entire list of things that I was able to kind of put together with what I knew about my mom, where she'd gone to college, the timing when she was there. Um, and so, yeah, within 48 hours from my email from Ancestry that my results were in, I had the name of my biological father. He, he'd never met him. Um, he just knew a name. Um, and he had said that he knew that there were other siblings out there, um, but he didn't know them either. Um, which I then immediately took as, okay, then here's the challenge. Let's find them. <laughs> I'm very, it was like, I use the word obsessed and I don't think that's too strong of a word. And if you ask my husband, I know he would agree. Um, Cause I, I struggled um, for the next few days and, and week or two to, I wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping, you know, I struggling to make it through work trying to be normal because um, we hadn't talked about, okay, how are we going to tell the children? When are we going to tell the children? I, I needed to make sure I knew, you know, really good information and had good information before we told the kids. Um, when he said the name, the, the name, the last name kept, it kept bugging me. I, just, I couldn't get it out of my head. And I realized like a day or two down the road, it was because I remembered that name from a kid who had also been a really good basketball player who lived in the neighboring town. And so I'd, I'd Googled the last name and Googled the name of the hometown and, and his name popped up. I'm like, that's it. It's like, I, I knew I remembered that name. He'd been just a year older than me in school. And I mean, I knew who he was. I, I knew he knew who I was. Um, I, I, we're, we had been trying to, if we'd ever met, I don't think we'd ever necessarily met in person, but I knew who he was. So I Googled his name and found out where he lived. He'd run for school board. He still lived in Iowa, um, over on the east side of Iowa, eastern side of Iowa. And so found out where he worked, found his work email, and sent him just a really vague email. Um, hey, this is my name. Gave him my maiden name and said, I don't know if you remember me, but you know, I grew up in a town about 15 miles away from you. Um, and I said, I, I just really needed to talk to you about something. I said, I know this is your work email. So, you know, is there a time we could talk. Well, he emailed me back and he said, oh my gosh, I haven't, you know, heard your name in like 30 years. And he said, of course I remember you. Um, and he said, I think we need to chat. Here's my cell phone. That's all he said. 
And so I thought that was kind of weird. Um, but anyway, so. Wait, wait, wait. So did you tell him? I didn't tell him anything. I just said, hey, I've got a question for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what he claims is, so he calls me. Um, I emailed him back. I said, here's my phone number to, said, I get off work at this time. You know, yeah, let's chat. And he caught me right on the, right on the nose. Um, and I said, Hey, I've, I've just got this, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to even approach this. I, here's, I kind of ran down the situation of me growing up. I didn't know. Um, I said, I've never asked any questions, took this DNA test. This name is popping up. Is there any chance you and I are half siblings? And he said, I knew immediately when you emailed me why you were emailing me. And I'm like, you didn't. I, like, how could you possibly know? And he said, why else would you be emailing me? He said, why else would you now, you know, <laughs> be? And I said, oh, I don't know. There could have been. Anyway, he claims he's like, I knew it. He said, I just knew that's what you were going to say. He knew our moms had known each other um, in college. Um, so, yeah, it was just it was strange. And we talked for probably an hour um, I was just trying to fill in pieces. Um, this guy in the other town, did you, you had never met him? No. I, it, it's one of those things where I knew who he was because he was in the paper a lot. He knew who I was because I was in the paper a lot. Um, the town, I mean, I, I, we were trying to remember. Our, our parents used to run in the same circle. His mom and my mom were good friends in college. So it was kind of, and it's small town kind of stuff, but we can't think of a time that we were in the same place together, like as in meeting and talking or anything like that. But we knew who each other was very well. And, aware of and was it because the papers or was it because the moms? Um, a little, both? a little bit of both, a little right, bit okay. of both. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, that is crazy. It's a good thing you guys didn't date or anything. Um, big joke. We have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I, and I've said, I'm like, surely, um, if I'd brought him home and said, Hey, meet my new boyfriend. Um, my mom would have said something I would imagine. He, his mom's white as well. Um, he's biracial and I'm biracial. Um, and so no, he, he grew up there in, in the small town again, only one that looked like him. Um, but was he an MPE? No, cause his, his mom actually, and, and I apologize up front cause it is so confusing with the name and the number of siblings that I've found and have and kind of how this all works. But our biological father was actually married to his mom. Oh, okay. Very briefly. Um, so my bio, our biological father played basketball in college. So it was the same college that my mom and his mom were at. Um, he left to go play in the NBA for about three years. Um, and that was when he was married to this brother's mom it was gone. And so I was trying to figure out, cause that was in 1969 when he left, I was born in 1973. So I had to figure out, it's like, okay, how in the world, you know, he, he's gone playing in the NBA. How did this happen? And so this brother and I, we did, we had to do a little bit of day. We had to ask his mom, you know, cause he didn't even know the timing of all of that. All he knows is he was born in night at the very end of 1971 out in Portland. Our biological father played at LA for two years and then one year for the Portland trailblazers. And that's where he was born was out there. We needed our biological father back 
where my mom was still living. She was finishing college because she was younger. She was still finishing college, but we needed him back in the area in 1972. And come to find out when he was cut from Portland, he and his mom and our biological father, the three of them, because like I said, they were married at the time, moved back to Des Moines very briefly in the spring of 1972 after he was cut. Was he still married to your brother's mom when you were conceived? My mom was married at the time. She'd gotten married in 1970. Um, But my dad was in the military and was gone. He'd been in Vietnam. And then at the time, um, 1972, was stationed in um, at the Navy base in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, he had been back on leave. And so had been back and seen my mom and then back to Des Moines, Iowa, and then had gone back to Charleston. Th- this is, and it's so hard. My mom doesn't know. She won't talk about it. So it's, it's hard for me to like really fill in details when I went and told her I had taken the DNA test was the first time that, you know, we talked about this. Um, I probably didn't do it in a very good way. (laughs) Looking back, I was so blindsided by all of this. I just showed up at her house and I said, I know, I know about me. (laughs) That's how I (laughs) just blurted it out. And she's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I know who my biological father is. And she got really quiet. And I just left it um, and didn't press her anymore. Um, she clearly didn't want to talk about it. And at that point in time, I think I'd, I'd shocked her so much. I mean, I, it, she really did. She had to have thought she was going to take this to her grave. First of all, I want to go back a little bit and just say, I just have always loved genetics, but like even more now that the MPE thing. And I just love it that you and your brother were both the stars of basketball. <laughs> your biological father had played in the played NBA. in the like, NBA. Yeah. Like answered how a lot of amazing questions. is that? Like he wasn't yeah. there to teach you basketball. He wasn't there, but you just—it's just genetics, man. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you didn't deserve it by all the practicing you did and everything. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no, just but amazing. No, there's, yeah. How was your husband in those first few days, few weeks when you were just a mess? Um. It, as I've asked him like years down the road to kind of look back and say helpless, he felt so helpless. Um, he's the caretaker, you know, of, of the family. And, and he, he feels a sense of accomplishment and pride in, in love. He's, you know, loving me, taking care of me, providing for our family and doing that. He's a fixer. He's a carpenter by trade. He couldn't fix this. And he didn't even know where to start. <laughs> um, to be fair to him, it so blindsided him because he's like, well, you know, he and I hadn't talked about it. You know, he comes back, he meets my family, we get married, and there's this unspokenness to it that he just went along with. He's like, I didn't understand it. He's like, I don't didn't understand why you guys weren't talking about it, but I wasn't going to be the one to jump in and, you know, upset the apple cart. So he's like, I went along with it. And he's like, have you been thinking about this all these years? And I I remember looking at him one time, like, are you kidding me? I look in the mirror every single day. (laughs) Like, how do you not think that I would have thought about this? I said, growing up, like, I would lay there in bed, praying that God would make me 
look like my family. That's all I wanted, was to look like I belonged. So I said, yes, every single day I think about this. I look in the mirror. I don't understand what I see. And you just get, I said, I get used to, well, you just go on. I mean, it's not this, I don't spend hours staring at myself and crying. But every day I look at it, well, still here, (laughs) still look the way I do. I said, the difference now is, I said, finally, I can look in the mirror and I can make sense of what I see. It's not a mystery to me anymore. It's like, okay, this makes sense. And I just want to like shout out to the spouses, right? Oh my word, yes. Like, because we are just a mess. I mean, that first month, like Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to either be in bed or on the computer, Mm -hmm. figuring it out, looking, you know, putting pictures together, Mm -hmm. that whole thing that we all go through. And I slacked in every way. Oh, I did too. Every way. And like, I'm lucky that we have, my wife and I are in business together in two different businesses. Mm. And she picked up the slack in both of those because I just, I, first of all, I really had no interest. I just was so hyper-focused on this. But our spouses, like, they pick up the slack. They watch us have no idea what we're really feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of them can't fucking understand it, but they, you know, most of them, they stay by our side and Mm -hmm. pick up the slack and help us through the best they can. This thing that they can't understand. Yeah. If there is, if there's anything I wish that I could go back and do better and it actually, it would have been even before I took this test, like way back when we were dating and getting married and having kids, I wish I had been more open with him about how much I did struggle with it still, how much I thought about it. Um, he's the one person on the in, on this planet that I should have been able to talk with this about. I, I would even say, as the spouses of some of my new siblings that I found, I had even written them um, either through text or an email or a little letter, um, just how much I appreciated them because I had hijacked their husbands. Um, yes, I, I was so obsessed with talking to them and trying to find out everything about them. It was like trying to cram 45 years of life in, into such a short amount. It's like I needed to find out everything I could about them, everything I could about the family, whatever they knew. It was like I was trying to learn about me through these other people. And it was an obsession. I mean, to where, you know, there were times we would say, okay, listen, we cannot text each other after five o'clock. <laughs> we've got, we've got to just, cause that's got to be family time. I mean, th- they've got to do their thing. I need to kind of try and do mine. And it was trying to set some boundaries, healthy boundaries back into something that I just really struggled to do that with. Yeah. I mean, I had one sister that, I mean, I'm not exaggerating we would text 50 times a day, like Mm -hmm. nonstop all day long. And my wife was like, I mean, she totally understands now. Mm -hmm. And she was always trying to be understanding. She's a wonderful person. Yes. Yes. It's it's kind of the, I mean, I would almost describe it as an emotional affair a little bit. I mean, it was just like, I was so, you know, especially with the one who, you know, grew up so close to me because we're so close in age it's like almost exactly a year apart in age is all. 
we, we culturally, you know, he grew up in a small town. I grew up in a small town. He's biracial. I'm biracial. So, and it is, we, we think alike, we act alike. I mean, it's like, there's so much that is the same, um, about us that it's scary sometimes, but it's just, yeah, there was just this intensity for me. Like I said, it was, it's, it was like, I was learning about myself from these people that, they they don't know me, but yet I felt like I was learning things about myself through them. And I wanted to know everything I could about them. And it was just this intensity of needing information that it's hard to describe. And luckily it's gotten to a, a normal level. Um, cause we, we were the same way. It, it was all day long texting and asking each other questions. And yeah, I had this influx of information so quickly, um, to the, from the two brothers. Cause by the way, the, the one brother who lived closest to me, he wasn't on ancestry. So this was, I've now, I've got three half brothers. So the one that I found myself, you know, through a Google search, the two that were on ancestry and then the cousins that were on there. And so word was spreading quickly throughout the family that I had shown up. Okay. And so then I start getting through Facebook people, you know, we started finding each other on Facebook, you know, cousins and stuff outside of ancestry. And so we're, I'm making all these connections and finding people and we're chatting. Um, one of my cousins told me the first time she saw my picture on Facebook, she's like, Oh my gosh, you look exactly like this aunt that had passed away. My biological father, there were, um, 10 of them in his family. Um, and that just, I started bawling. I mean, I was like, oh my God, I, I, nobody had ever said that to me in my life that I'd look like it. Cause I didn't, I didn't look like anybody. So that was really, really touching when that happened. But, um, so I'd, I'd met a bunch of people online through Facebook. Um, I had met, so my brother that lived in Eastern Iowa, we had met each other in person. We kind of met halfway in Grinnell, Iowa, had some coffee so we could, you know, just meet in person and talk, whatever. And then he and I met one of the other brothers in Des Moines one time. So three of us had met and it, the big matzo ball for me hanging out there was our biological father. You know, do you want to meet him? Is that what you want to do next? Either one of these brothers had had any contact necessarily with him. Um, so wow, did we want to, you know, do that? And at first my answer was no. My husband was probably the first to tell, he's like, I can tell you're, you're not going to be satisfied until you meet this person. You know, he's alive. We know how to get in touch with him. People are just waiting for you to give them the go ahead and they will help you get this arranged. And in the end, it came down to, I, I needed to see him. I needed to be able to look in his eyes. I needed to be able to look at his hands. I needed to be able to watch his mannerisms. I needed to be in the same room as him. I had a couple of cousins that did talk to him kind of regularly, helped help me arrange a meeting to which then I'm reaching out to half siblings going, listen, I'm not doing this by myself. I, I need all of you all to come with me. You know, like, let's just, cause there were two others that hadn't met him either ever. They knew who he was, but hadn't met him. So I'm just like, if we're going to, if I'm going to do this, y'all are coming with me. We're just going to all meet him all at the same time, which probably wasn't fair to my biological father, but he agreed to it. 
So we drove out to Gary, Indiana, which is where he's from originally. Um, and I met him out there. Um, he had had a number of strokes, so he couldn't talk. Um, he had a alphabet card that he used and he would, you know, kind of spell out things. And then his wife at the time, um, would help kind of translate and, you know, talk for him. And, um, so it was difficult from that stretch because I couldn't really, we couldn't ask him a whole lot. Um, he couldn't respond to a whole lot. We could just ask, you know, basic kind of yes or no questions and, you know, things he could easily spell out on his, on his card. I don't know how to even, I don't know how to describe it. There wasn't a lot of emotion there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting this person that is responsible for me being here. He can't talk to me. Um, I had an amazing dad growing up, so I wasn't really looking for like dad things I was missing. Um, cause I didn't feel like I was missing those. So I didn't really have a lot of expectations from him. This was just more I needed to see him um, and be kind of in the same space as he was. Um, so from that standpoint, it was good. Did you ask your mom if your dad knew growing up? So we've talked a total. It's been this September will be five years since I found out. And I think we've only had a total of three conversations. Anyway, so one of the first ones, I think it was the one where I actually told her what I had found out from the DNA test. Um, and she was telling me that when I was actually born on, she had gone down to Charleston. Um, after I think shortly after she probably found out she was pregnant, she went down to Charleston and then stayed with my dad on the Navy base. So I was actually born on the Navy base in Charleston, South Carolina, the Naval Hospital. And I said, okay, that's fine. You didn't talk about it. You didn't tell anybody. I said, when they wheeled the little black baby in, I said, did you say, <laughs> hey, think you got the wrong baby? You know, I mean, because I'm trying to remember things were different back then. You know, now anybody can be in the room when you're having a baby, you know, you can have video cameras, you know, all of this. It's like a big production. Back then the the dads weren't even in the room, you know, dad's out in the waiting room. She's having the baby, the baby's born, they whisk the baby away. And so, you know, bring the baby in, dad's now in the room. You didn't say, Hey, I think you brought me the wrong one. <laughs> So she said, when I saw you, I knew, you know, I knew who's, who's you were. And I said, so what then? I said, you did, did you say anything to dad? And she said, this always gets me choked up. She said, before I could say anything, she said, he picked you up and said, isn't she beautiful? And she said, I took that as a sign that you were supposed to be our daughter. And she said, we never spoke of it. I, I, I guess I have to believe her. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've nothing else to go on. My dad never said anything to me. He never treated me like I wasn't his child. That's what she says. It's kind of beautiful. It is. It's the... It's so could have gone the other way. <laughs> Very easily. Yes. Yes. You know, and I, I thanked her, you know, she not only kept me, but then she kept me, kept me, you know, I mean, again, raising a biracial child in the seventies, 
not an easy thing to do. Um, even though you're denying that, you know, not telling anybody that she's a biracial child, when you're out in public, everybody's going to assume she's a biracial child or, you know, or maybe at the very least, maybe she's adopted or something. That's not easy to do in a small rural Iowa, you know, setting. So on the one hand, I feel like my mom is literally one of the most courageous, loving people. And so is my dad. And yet then in my head, this is the warring that some of us go through. At some point in time, I should have been told. I know she made the decision she thought was best for me and for her family at the time. But the, a time came there, there somewhere along the line, whether that's junior high or high school, when I started venturing out into the world that I needed to be armed with the truth. How do you identify now? Like if you have to fill out some kind of paperwork and ask your ethnicity, what do you put down? I can remember the day, and I want to say it was at my annual visit 2019. And I actually, I took a picture of the form, sent it to my husband, and I said, I told the truth for the first time in my life because I'd checked both boxes. I love telling telling the story now because I, I get to be one of those lucky ones that has a, a happy ending. Um, I love my siblings. Um, we get along really, really well. And um, it's just been a, now that I've gotten the, that first initial, you know, year or two under my belt, it, it's become this wonderful journey of just still, even now, self-discovery and um, learning and growing and adding more people to my life to love. I want to thank Jody for sharing her story with us today. And a special shout out to that small town in Iowa. The fact that they accepted her and loved her, even though she looked different, just really makes me happy. And to that teacher who stuck up for her, you are awesome. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Also, follow or subscribe so you won't miss the next episode of Missing Pieces in PE Life. My name is Don Anderson, and I'm the host, producer, writer, and editor of Missing Pieces. I also take out the trash and sweep the floor. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode.